Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, with more than 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we share proven strategies for building a powerful culture in any business, and Uncover the truth about how your mindset can be one of the biggest game changers in business with our guest, Thomas Stedding. Are you a fan of the show and have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting, and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we talked about the secrets of creating influence, how to be more confident and the truth about the shortcuts that you can take to be successful with our previous guest, Bill M. Jones. Now for our interview with Thomas. Tom Stedding, PhD, has been CEO of more than 12 high-tech companies and active chairman of several more. He's the co-founder of the Mayfield Alliance with former Facebook executive Blaise Bertrand, and Tom is also the co-founder of Quadrix Partners, providing leadership interventions. He is a SEAL team advisor to the Stanford-affiliated Alchemical Accelerator, a founding member of the Silicon Valley Angel Group, and the executive in residence of the Palo Alto Venture Capital Private Equity Roundtable. He's also the co-author of the best-selling book, Built on Trust, Gaining Competitive Advantage in Any Organization, and the soon-to-be-released Real Teams Win, What Smart Leaders Need to Know Now About Achieving Peak Performance. Tom, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you very much, Matt. Nice to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on the show today, and you have such a great background. I can't wait to 
dig into some of the the stories and, and experiences and lessons that you've learned from that. I'd love to start out with, you have a bit of a reputation as a, a turnaround expert in, in Silicon Valley. And I'd love to get your perspective on why that's the case and what you really view as a turnaround opportunity. Sure. Yeah, I've been developing this leadership material over decades. I'm a solo learner, so it's taken me a while to figure out what really works. Real teams, when we make a distinction between real teams and fake or pretend teams, and in terms of stories, I've been CEO of 13 startups. I've often, some I started from scratch, some I went in after the operation for two years or longer. And in many cases, you find people that say, yeah, they do teamwork and they're, they're a team and so forth. And even further examination, what you discover is they really don't like each other. They don't communicate. They don't trust each other. There's toxic gossip, of, you know, rampant slippage and so forth. And I've seen that over and over again. And by implementing this method, I've been able to create that environment based on the new leadership model that allows for real teams to blossom, to create real teams and change the culture dramatically. And in fact, one of, the, one of the interesting features that I discovered is that you can actually dramatically increase performance by actually reducing the costs. In some cases, I reduce costs by more than 50% and yet triple or quadruple sales. So that says that performance and success doesn't depend upon spending, it depends upon leadership. And that make, can make a big difference. That's a bit of the background on my approach. The issue here is to, uh, uh, the, the pro- I would describe the approach of the book as a, perspective, a depth perspective, getting to the emotional life of the team, what's really going on between people, and understanding at that deeper layer, that's where the real action occurs. I've gone through periods in my career where I thought strategy was everything. I thought project management was everything, operational management. You know, technology and all that. And it turns out those things are sometimes important, but they, they're not uh, sufficient for success. What you've got to do is get to the deeper layers in the organization and rebuild it from the, bo- the bottom up. So that's what the book is about. There's a lot of different things you've already shared that I really want to dig into and explore a little bit more. Let's start with this notion of getting to the emotional life of the team. And I right. love what you said about how it's not necessarily strategy, it's not project management, it's really at the core, one of the single biggest differentiators of a successful business versus a failed business is the emotional connection between the leadership team. So tell me more about what that is and, and how you sure. that. Sure. The, leader, the new leadership model is a, um, viewing the organization as a network of an agile flexible dynamic network of this set of nodes interconnected and the the links between the nodes the nodes could be people or teams uh, those links are not reporting relationship but rather paths of open collaborative communication in a high trust low fear environment so that's what you're trying to build and the book talks about three principles and four practices in a diagnostic model to address that one of the things that it really focuses in on is what we call, what I call the mindset layer. People have been talking about culture, and it's, it's become more and more a, a faddish topic in high tech. People are beginning to understand the importance of culture, which is accurate. And people, the old bromide is that culture eats strategy for lunch. 
And I think that's true. You can have a great strategy and bad culture, you're not going to be successful. But the problem is people don't really know how to talk about culture. Uh, often you hear, well, it's pizza for Friday or we don't do politics and that kind of, those kinds of bromides, but the, that's not actionable. The point of the book is to, if you want to talk about culture, you have to first talk about mindset. Mindset drives culture. And in fact, mindset eats culture for breakfast. That's the way we put it. And that's where, that's where the hidden factors reside. So there are four dimensions of mindset, agility, awareness, courage, and relatedness, four different dimensions. Each dimension has an intellectual and an emotional component. If you, if you can look at the company from the perspective of mindset, that the mindset of the patterns of thought between the ears of the leaders, cultures between the people, patterns of behavior between the people but this is the internal view of the system from the leadership and understanding those four dimensions will set up and if you have a if you have a weak dimension that's where dysfunctionality will come in so i've showed talk about examples where you know you had strong courage you had strong agility you had strong awareness but weak relatedness and it failed so you need, uh, need a balanced approach among all four dimensions some really good insights, and I, I want to dig more into this because in many ways, a lot of the crux of this podcast over the last four or five years has been a focus around trying to uncover the cornerstones of mindset and the realization that mindset really is such a fundamental component of being successful in any endeavor, whether it's business, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's politics. And to me... The fact that you say that mindset is so important to me really helps make it very actionable because I feel like when I hear about Pizza Fridays or all of these kitschy activities, there's a disconnect when I hear that between that and what culture actually is and the really the high-performance culture of successful businesses. So tell me more about how to differentiate the appearance of culture versus the substance of culture and how to sure. cultivate a, a mindset within an organization that checks all those boxes. And I want to talk about agility and awareness and so forth in a minute, but tell me more okay. about that. Yeah. I think to fill it out, we look at um, the idea of a new model is that you're creating an environment of, that's creative and safe. Psychological safety is a factor here, but it goes beyond that. That psychological safety is something that uh, Google discovered as the number one factor it's supporting innovation. And the practices, the idea is you form the connected team, and that's where the future competitive advantage comes from, is that people can speak up and contribute fearlessly, and, and that's where the good ideas come from. Now, what you want to do is eliminate dogmatic thinking. That's one of the dimensions here. There are three practices to that, uh, three principles to, under, to support that. One of them is complementarity, and that is just that people get out of dogmatic one-sided thinking, but understand that it's a rule of nature. It's not this or that. It's both this and that at all times. It's always another side to an issue. So you teach people to avoid dogmatic thinking and dogmatic declarations. The second is empathy, which is the glue. We talk about emotional intelligence, but we go that beyond that to emotional integrity as a refinement on emotional intelligence concept. The third one is non-attachment, which is, Avoiding idealized expectations, idealized fantasy. So uh, we, and that, we call that cancer of the mind because it's so pernicious and so corrosive to progress. So an example, I had a VPM marketing 
you know, the company I took over, and she had to sit at the end of the table. I didn't care where I sat in the conference room. I sat somewhere in the middle. We're talking about, we're having a creative dialogue about a program. And she pounds the table and says, we have to decide whether we're going to do this in September or not. That's a dogmatic statement that killed, right then when you have a dogmatic statement, it kills creative collaboration. That was the end of the discussion. She reduced it to a simple, you know, one bit answer, as opposed to staying in the creative mode and looking for the better answer. The connected team always can create better ideas than you come up with on your own. I relied on that. I think on the weekend, about I'm worried about such and such thing. I'll go in the executive staff meeting Monday morning, and I'll say, I'm kind of worried about this. I'm thinking maybe we should do this. And they knew it's not a very smart idea. And it's like fresh meat to the team, and they just devour that, and they chew it up, and you always, almost inevitably, somebody, somehow, out of that process comes a better idea. So it's that kind of a, an approach. And the practices we set up, which are communication, collaboration, commitment and closure are in support of creating that kind of creative dialogue that you can sustain in a fearless manner. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I understand the conceptual level of this very clearly. The idea that increased emotional intelligence, awareness, and a focus and orientation towards the truth and non-attachment to specific outcomes or views, openness, creativity, all these things are vital to the health of a team. Mm -hmm. How do you really think practically about day one, you come into a company, it's a turnaround situation. How do you approach that? Because, you know, I mean, especially if you're dealing with financial realities of the business, losing money, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. how are you balancing that? Hey, guys, let's sit down and everybody needs to adjust their mindset to be more open-minded or whatever versus, hey, we need to cut costs and, hey, we need to reduce the team and all of these practical realities of the business. So what I uh, typically do is uh, the first day I will take the team offsite for two to three hours and train them. And go through all the material, knowing that this is at, at that stage simply an intellectual exercise. They'll hear the words, they'll say, Yeah, sure. And then you set up the process of drafting the way I've done it before. You don't have to do it this way, but we draft a statement of operating principles or practices, you know, one page, and everybody gets to contribute to that. And it's based on the material that was in the training. And, and uh, everybody gets to offer their edits, and then they, everybody signs it. Now you've got a statement about how you're going to move forward. I have a weekly all-hands meeting. Sometimes it go more frequently than a week. It's voluntary. It's, they call it tea, tea with Tom is typically the way it's done. People can come in, and it's not scripted. It's not a tell-and-sell event. It's a, here's what's going on. What's going on with you guys? Anybody got ideas? That, that is, it begins a process that takes time to evolve, you know, depends on how deep the problems are at the beginning. One company took over uh, in Lake Tahoe was run by a, a psychopath. He would, there's an employee uh, handbook 
And if he caught somebody like leaving early to go to a dentist, he would uh, revise the employee handbook and resend it out. You can't leave early to go for a dentist and so forth. It was a, it was a symbol of tyranny. So I called the fire department, got a license or permit. I told everybody to print off this, um, you know, 100-page document, bring it out in the parking lot, and we had a bonfire, and we burned that. So that was a symbol of that. And plus, and people, it, some people, I kept saying in the all-hands meeting, I want you to speak up, I want you to speak up, and it took time. People were scared to death to speak up because they got shot before. I had this experience in other times in my earlier career where the culture was, if you speak up, you get shot. Well, you got to teach people it's safe. To, it's not only safe that you're almost requested to speak up, even toss out half-brained idea, because you can start working with half-brained idea and find the really good idea that's residing behind the half-brained surface. And so you you create that kind of permission. I've had two instances where investors. We did everything we said we would do. Six months later, one investor abandoned the company, so we had financial trouble for six months. So I went to a daily, well, actually it was a weekly, instead of a weekly staff meeting, I had a weekly all hands meeting. And I told everybody everything. I explained exactly what was going on, what the problems were. In both cases, I ran six months and we got a successful exit. In both cases, we lost one person. And that's because they went to, they got a better job. You know, they would have left anyway. So it's that kind of open system that everybody's included is the empowering aspect of of the approach. How much of this approach is focused around your specific interactions with the executive team versus trickling that down, sharing it with the entire company? And how do you think about permeating the culture, the mindset shift that you're creating in a company from just you to the executive team to the broader organization? You proceed top down in the sense that you train everybody and you really work with the executive team and ensure that they're really on board, that they are adopting this ahead of the other members of the team, that, that leaders go first. And if you have issues with the executive team, you deal with them promptly. Because if, you, if there's an obvious problem in the company and you're not dealing with it, that there are two conclusions. One is you, you don't know about it, which means you're not paying attention. The one is you don't care, which means you're stupid. So you boldly address issues early as you can, early as they're identified. And then the executive team models that kind of behavior on through their staff and emphasizes that. The all-hands discussions contain a, a big chunk of it is people saying, well, here's a problem. How do I deal with it? And I go back to the principles and say, well, this is what we do. We tell the truth or we get closure. We honor a commitment or whatever it takes. And to help them really understand how to apply it in specific pragmatic you know, instances. Tell me more about this idea. I like the notion of servicing issues really promptly and dealing with them. Tell me more about that framework and, and how you quickly address whether it's problem individuals or, or, or problems that come up. Right. I just hate gossip. I, I think go- toxic gossip is corrosive, of course, and uh, needs to be rooted out. We, you know, the alternative is direct communication, talking to the person that can actually do something about the problem, not, not gossiping about somebody else that can't do anything about the problem. And I make a big deal out of that. And I had a woman executive 
in a t- company I ran, and she couldn't. She was addicted to gossip. She w- could not stop. And I warned her, and I warned her, and I fired her. People knew that I fired her because she gossiped. That solidified the impression that this was important. She was a good, you know, she had talents that were available to the company. You got a bad person, you know, it's better to have nobody in a position than a bad person, however talented they might be. And how do you think about when you come into a situation assessing who is going to stick to or adapt to the cultural changes that you're making versus who is not going to stick around or who you might need to let go? So often there will be an early phase of coming in and doing an assessment before actually coming on to run the company. And I've done that before as well. And you interview, they get 90 minute interviews with about five to seven key people. You can detect it immediately. It's not a, it's not a rational questionnaire kind of approach scoring thing. It's an intuitive grasp. Mostly it's about whether the person you're talking to is comfortable in their own skin, whether they are low ego or are they putting on something? Are they trying to, you know, present a persona, a cover-up. You quickly get an idea, independent of their technical skills or management or marketing skills or whatever, as whether they are able to evolve as part of an overall team evolution and be part of something that works, you know, in a healthier manner. So you can pick it out very quickly. That sets up the action plans to follow. That makes a lot of sense. I want to come back to some of the practical pillars of this that you talked about a minute ago. You mentioned agility, and correct me if I say these wrong, agility, awareness, courage, and relatedness. Are those the four correct. pillars of, of correct. organizational right. mindset? Right. Could you briefly give me a description of what each of those is and how you approach implementing them? Sure. Let's take agility for an example. And this is the idea that the dimension of agility has an intellectual and an emotional component. So intellectual agility is being able, and I've done this before, you look at the product roadmap that you're building out and you're looking at the marketplace and what's going out there and you realize that that's not the right product roadmap. And so you have to stop and turn around a dime. And I've done that before. We've discovered, you know, it saves six months of development time taking out a wrong, the wrong product. So that's, that's intellectual agility. Emotional agility is different. It's the ability to hear another person's point of view and take it in without rejecting it outright dogmatically, but really understand completely and be able to relate to them on the basis of their perspective, using their metaphors and so forth. That's a different kind of agility. Likewise, there's uh, awareness is uh, the CEO needs to know the marketplace and the competitive situation, barriers to entry, the economics, and all that kind of stuff is very important. But the emotional side of that is to really understand what's going on with the team. Are they trusting each other? Are they acting on the principles that have been laid out? Where's the drama? Drama is always evidence of sand in the gears, to mix my metaphors. But looking for the functioning of the team at the emotional connect connectivity level. So those are two dimensions of awareness that are important. Relatedness is a kind of a latecomer to management. It seems more of a it seems like a California West Coast idea, but it's very important about 
both externally with customers and account management, that kind of thing, but relatedness internally, the ability to sustain productive you know, dialogues with people without going dogmatic on them, avoiding this agree-to-disagree conclusion in a, in a collaborative conversation, that sort of thing. So I had an instance of a, the first startup I ran was pretty good privacy. It was a famous uh, email encryption company. We put privacy on the map. We were considered to be the uh, marketing of the gorilla in four months by the press. We brought in a guy, and we established a, a values-based approach that was, we had the process that I just described, and we had you know, several documents that explain what our values were and how we're going to behave. And part of that was uh, direct communication and respect, two different ideas. I brought in this guy, and he grabbed DP of of product marketing or products, a woman, very bright woman, and berated her loudly in the hallway. And so I called him and called him in. And I said, I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm doing direct communication. And I said, yeah, but you forgot about respectful communication. I put him on uh, probation. Eventually he left the company. Uh, Interestingly, about a year later, he showed up on the cover of Fortune magazine with a bunch of other people as a, as a critical founder of the internet. <laughs> so it doesn't mean you have to be a you know, helpful team player <laughs> to, get, to get famous. But I still stand by in the action I took because uh, it was very, very destructive. So. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and, and I think, I mean, a lot of this stuff seems like it's common sense in many ways if, if you believe in the importance of checking your ego at the door and having an open approach to communication, those kinds of things. For me, it always comes back to the application of it is much harder than the theory. And what are some of the sticking points that you've seen or places where it gets really hard to implement some of these mindset changes? It's easy to understand intellectually. And it's difficult to do, to behave, and carry out at the emotional level. One of the most difficult things is uh, narcissism. Now, the book has about 11 interludes looking at ancient myths. And people would say, well, they're old stories and they're not relevant today. Well, I'll tell you something. Those mythic figures are sitting in the conference room today or on a Zoom call. The message of narcissists was that he couldn't take input. The narcissistic leader will not listen to people on the team and won't listen to people outside the company. The mind's made up and they're going to proceed you know, on that basis. That's the, the opposite of the kind of mindset that we need in the team. People are open to hearing other points of view and work with those points of view as opposed to rejecting them outright. That's probably the, the core to dysfunction, team dysfunctionality is narcissism. And so there's a material in the book about how to detect narcissism in the team and how to deal with it. But if you have a narcissistic leader, you have a great deal of trouble implementing this overall blueprint approach that's described in the book. What are some of the practical strategies for detecting narcissism? There's a list that was actually derived from the DSM, which is the Dictionary of Mental Illnesses. (laughs) But it's things like people who talk too much, that they're often, they use the I word a lot, they're dogmatic, they can be emotionally reactive, so they won't take criticism, they're touchy, they're defensive, 
there's a whole the whole list of things but you you can imagine the uh, that kind of a character difficult to work with not listening spend a lot of time you know promoting their own uh, value as opposed to working on the problem those kinds of things i want to come back to some of the practical examples from your experience i know you've worked with a lot of different businesses what was the typical size of a company in terms of maybe the team size of an average business that you got involved with and, and helped turn around? It would run from, the average size is probably around 35 people, 35, 50 people. Sometimes it runs up higher than that. So sometimes it was a fresh start, three founders working to get it off the ground. Pretty good privacy. I hired six executives in the first four months. So I built that top down, eventually got to 75, 80 people or more, something like that. I've done work with uh, accelerators, including the Stanford-affiliated Alchemist Accelerator, and given presentations on the material to groups like 25 CEOs in a particular class. And the response is, well, we're too early for that. And my answer is no. When you have two people, you now have a team. The time to set the values and the principles for the company is that early point. In fact, with pretty good privacy, I stopped the whole process and spent a day with the uh, core founding team to develop those value statements and principles and got those in place first before you start bringing people on. It's also a recruiting tool and people, and it's a filter. You can see people's reaction to it. If they say, oh, this is BS, you know, I'm going to do it my way. They're not going to come on and be part of the team. It's very inspirational. People want to be, one of the four things that people want is to be part of something bigger than themselves that reflects their basic values. That's a critical factor in attracting the right kind of people. That makes a lot of sense. And is there an organizational size that you found, you touched on it a little bit just now, but that these principles work better for? I mean, I, if you have a company of three people, is it too early to come in and say, okay, here's all the stuff we're doing? Or if you have a company of 200 people, is it too large to say, we can really actually impact these changes and, and push them through the entire culture of the organization? I think it's pretty much independent of, it's, it's size agnostic. When you're at three people, you might, a typical founding team has a crazy founding CTO, for example. You've got to deal with, and in a pretty good privacy case, it was a really crazy CTO. You had to deal with that right away and establish uh, how we're going to work together because as you add people, if you haven't dealt with it, it's going to get multiplied and becomes, uh, you know, it's contagious. So that, that, that's a point where it's very important to do that. You got 200 people, you would build it top down through the executive team. I'm doing something, I'm on the board of trustees of Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara, which is probably the center of the world in depth psychology, mythology, and so forth. And I've, I've declared that we are going to overhaul the culture. There are silos and them versus us conflict and a bunch of stuff, and they're flat in terms of growth. And that's a big part because the culture is not working well. And so I started with the chancellor. He loved it. Then we brought in the executive team called the IMC, whatever that stands for, the senior faculty and so forth, the administrative people. They loved it. 
It was transformative. Even that was, and then the pandemic hit. But they had already had breakthrough results in the way they operated, and, and were able much to do a much better job of dealing with the pandemic as a consequence of that. But that's an organization of 250 people. Maybe it's more than that. You know, 600 students or something like that. So a much larger organization. But it was clearly working there, and we'll pick up the ball on that as we um, get over get through the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's a great example of the fact that these can these principles can be applied to a broad swath of companies. Another small theme that you've shared a couple different times is this notion that you have to really address challenge issues, whether they're people problems or organizational structural business problems at the very front end. I really like that notion that if you don't address the problems on the very front end, then they're going to multiply and become worse as the company scales or grows or as you add people to the organization. That's right. In a, and I talk about this in the book. The full implementation of the three principles and the four practices creates a sealed container in the sense that problems come up in, this, in the system. There's a dialogue, respectful dialogue, collaborative dialogue to find a creative solution. There's commitment to solving that, and it's, a, it's an authentic commitment, and things get solved. And this is going on at multiple levels at the same time in the organization without the necessity of top-down intervention. It's an organic, self-healing, self-correcting, self-regulating entity. And it's amazing when that happens. Suddenly, people are happy, and they're feeling productive, and they're proud of their work, and they're finding a great deal of meaning in their, in their work life, which is where people want to find meaning as opposed to going through the motions. Google, I mean, uh, the uh, survey firm Gallup, done two surveys 10 years apart, came up with the same thing, is that two-thirds of the employees are disconnected from their jobs. They go through the motions. It's not meaningful to them. You can think about the wasted capability that's now, you're sitting in the conference room, the person on either side of you, they're not connected, they're not engaged, they're not contributing, they're not getting creative, they're not energized, they're not inspired. What a waste. This is the thing that this approach is what creates that positive environment. People are engaged, they are energized, and that's why you can dramatically increase performance while cutting costs. Such a great insight. And Tom, for listeners who want to start to implement some of these ideas into their own lives or businesses, what would one action step B or, or action item that you would give them to start applying these practices today? I would start by, there are different places you can start. One is to start to examine the system around you and assess the quality of the interactions to see whether people are, are truly listening to each other, they're trusting each other, they're open in their communication, they're permissive have a permissive attitude towards ideas and letting people speak up, or it's the opposite. That would tell you the system that you're in. To the extent that you can influence, you are either are the leader or part of the leadership or can influence the leadership, then I would suggest presenting the idea of using these principles and practices and maybe preceding that with an assessment of the company based on this three-layer model, including the mindset and the four dimensions, and be a nursing conversation and an executive team meeting. How are we doing on these four dimensions? Where are we successful? Where are we failing? 
as a as a starting point to really understand how to build this out. So those are some things you can do. The issue that people will ask about and have asked about in the past is, well, I'm in, a, in an organization they really are screwed up and it's a bad culture, and what should I do? My answer is sort of what I just said, which is you try and influence directly. If you can't do it, it's what my first co-author called discovering gravity. You just discovered gravity. You're in a system that's not going to change, and you have to decide if you want to move on or you want to tolerate that system in in a suboptimal way. So it's not like you've got insecure for all situations. It's going to require top-down. It's going to got got to come from the leadership and the leadership's got to be open to this in a lot of cases or not. Yeah, that's a great insight and one that if you really take a look at your situation, you might realize that you can't create the change that you think is necessary and maybe you need to jump ship. I was on a board of a public company and the CEO was really good at public company financing and nano capital markets and so forth, but he's a very bad operational leader. And was heading for trouble. He had a lot of trouble on his team. And I said, one of the concepts in the book is complementary partnering, or what we call twinning. Two people have a a mutual, total, unconditional commitment to each other to help out and listen to each other and so forth. And I offered that to him and he refused. He refused because he felt if he partnered with me, he would show weakness that he had to get help. You know, he refused the call for partnering. The stock went down, I mean, literally, it went down 99.98% as a result of the leadership. And they ran up, I don't know, $60 million in debt. And, yet, and he said later to a colleague of mine, he says, I should have listened to Tom. <laughs> but I could have, could have helped him out. That's the cost of this kind of thing. And Tom, where can listeners who want to read more, Where's find you? more, et cetera, find you and your work online? The book's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I can be reached by Tom at realteamswin.com. Happy to collaborate, respond to that. I'm also on LinkedIn. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story and your wisdom, some great insights into how to build the right mindset in any organization. That's terrific. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or 
If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.